welcome you back to today's topic. Um, again, just to remind everybody, this is the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. We're pleased to see you all here today. Uh, we, I have one other announcement to make before we count, uh, or a couple of announcements to make before we proceed with the question period. The first thing I need to do is to let you know what the topic for next week is, though it's the last regular session, but a very good one I think it should be. Um, Rick Soup is going to come and talk, and the topic will be the closure of the Kainai Correction Center is Aboriginal justice being served. So I think that should be quite interesting as well and relevant to our community. Um, the sessions... Uh, any of the sessions for SACPAW can be heard. You can look for a list of them on the website, which is www.sacpaw.ca. You can also listen to this session again, as well as listen to any future session on that website. And there's a section there as well where written comments can be posted. Uh, in case you want to keep the discussion going. So a uh, nice use of uh, Internet technology for that. We also have a suggestion box outside for any additional comments or questions that you might have about uh, this group, this organization, and the sessions that are held. Um, and so with those announcements, I'm going to start off or set us up for the, the question and answer period. In a moment, I'm going to ask Tamara to step back up here. Tamara Larder, who's been speaking on uh, prostitution and the possibilities for uh, legislation or decriminalization and what the policy implications might be around that. Um, so, Tamara, do you want to come back up? We're going to ask you at this point uh, to get, bring some questions to Tamara. I'm going to ask you to come up and use the mic over here. When you come forward... Please do a number of things. State your name. Please have a question. You might want to make some comments, but keep those comments brief because we really do want to have the question to which Tamara can respond. And once you've placed your question, once you've stated it, we're going to invite you to go back to your seat and listen to her response. So I think that's about it. So Tamara, I'm turning it back to you to, and I'm going to ask out here, anyone have a question? Would anyone like to step forward with the first one? We certainly had an interesting discussion at our table. So, Tamara, I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you very much. Thank you. As a young person with so much to say, I can see you're going to have a great career. Um, my question has to do with the women who have been killed along the, um, the highway between uh, Alberta and B.C. and the women killed at, killed at the Pinkerton pig farm. Um, what relationship do you see between the lack of protection of women who are sex trade workers and um, our societies feeling that women involved in these kinds of professions are the ones that can be killed. Thanks, Bev. Um, that's actually very interesting because that question ties very closely to my thesis topic. So I was worried that I was going to get the first question and not know what to say, but I definitely have plenty to say on this topic, about 200 pages. Um, basically, the link is that 
as women working in the sex trade are marginalized and stigmatized, they are in turn devalued. So when we have these serial killings of women working in the sex trade, as we do with the Robert Pickton's farm in BC, um, in Edmonton, which is my area of research, and in the Highway of Tears, basically linking the two locations, um, because of the devaluation of these women's lives, the murders are able to take place over a longer period of time without police intervention. This was a major problem with what happened with... Um, the Picton Farm in the Vancouver area. And the RCMP were actually quite harshly judged for their stalling on the actions and, and their inability to take action for a long time because, like you said, although I'm going to put it in my own words, it's just another dead hooker. Who cares? What's particularly important in this situation is the role of race. Um, in all of these murders, the, the ratio of women of <clears throat> excuse me, Caucasian descent to women from First Nations um, communities is very out of proportion. Uh, First Nations women are overrepresented in these crimes and in the sex trade in general um, here in Canada. So it's also, it's not just another dead hooker, it's just another dead Indian hooker. And that's exactly how the media portrays it. That's how we're told to understand the situation. It's not like we've lost a soccer mom from the suburbs. It's not that we've lost an important businessman or a CEO. We just lost someone who was of little value to begin with, and that's the way that these these murders, these crimes are framed. Um, and I think that criminalization feeds into that a lot because it's it's criminalization that's telling us that the, what these women are doing are wrong, and it's not only that they're in the wrong occupation, it's that they have the wrong identity. You're not working in the sex trade. You are a prostitute. That is who you are. So that's... I think that's how that affects the devaluation and deviantization of these women. Thank you. I'm Gary Stoffer. I have two questions for you. Sure. In your research, did you uh, do a lot of interviewing with the frontline people in the sex trade? And secondly, there is likely a great concern in prostitution <clears throat> because uh, there are, the criminal element is involved so intimately. Mm -hmm. In the countries that have legalized uh, prostitution, has there been a, a significant drop-off of the uh, criminal element that's mm -hmm. involved with it? Um, for my actual thesis research, I did not conduct interviews, but when I lived in Edmonton, I worked in the downtown area um, in an addictions rehabilitation center, and I this also feeds into the criminal element, worked with a number of women who were involved in the trade. Um, but in terms of my research, my research is focused on the media and the way that the newspapers report on the murders. Um, and in this case, this was mostly internet-based research. Um, in terms of illegalization, decriminalization, some countries or locations have seen a decline in crime um, because women aren't having to work illegally. They can work legitimately they don't have to commit other crimes such as public nuisance and vagrancy, which are, which are the charges that are most often laid in the sex trade. Um, however, the, the main implications of legalizing and decriminalizing are that it makes the trade safer for the women. So whether it affects the rate of human trafficking or child prostitution remains to be seen. 
honestly. Um, some places have seen it decrease. Some have seen it stay the same. I haven't heard of any seeing an increase, though. Um, but the, the important point to keep in mind is that with the legalization and decriminalization, these women are able to work in safer environments. Um, they're able to report their experiences of violence, which means that the, the offenders can be prosecuted. So the crimes of violence that the women experience have are able to be dealt with. It's not that the, the rapes go unreported or the muggings go unreported. Um, but in terms of human trafficking, drug trafficking, child exploitation, the results are pretty inconclusive at this point. Hi, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. I wonder if you could comment on the human trafficking uh, aspect of uh, prostitution. It's uh, widespread in Europe, I know that, and uh, I suppose in this country as well. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's much more widespread in Canada than we would like to think. Um, I'm not sure if anyone, I think it must have been maybe two or three years ago, there was a lot of news coverage about um, women being brought over from Eastern Europe to work as exotic dancers here in Canada. I don't know if anyone was following those stories. Um, but basically, yeah, they're, in that case, those women knew that they were coming here to work as exotic dancers. What they didn't understand was that they would only be allowed to do that and that they would be hyper-supervised while they were here. They wouldn't be free to change their occupation when they, when they got here or really any sort of freedom of association outside of the people who they worked with and the people who trafficked them into this country. Um, human trafficking is a really prevalent business. I use that word loosely. Um, there's a lot of money to be made in it, which is why it happens so often. And it's a really awful crime. Uh, women are trafficked out of their own countries um, without any sort of documentation so that when and if they do get caught in whatever country they're being trafficked into, which they actually generally don't get caught for an extended period of time, um, there's criminal sanctions taken against them. So first they're exploited as sex trade workers and then they're prosecuted as basically illegal immigrants. Um, Eastern Europe is where a lot of this takes place. Women taken out of um, basically the former um, Soviet Republic uh, and the states surrounding there. Um, and they're bought and sold like cattle. Uh, it's, it's really, really awful. But it's not my area of expertise. Is that, what were you wanting to hear specifically, Can you Like, just to talk about the prevalence of it? Or, yeah, it's... It's quite prevalent. We're talking <clears throat> billions of dollars a year are there to be made. Um, it's basically the same as drug trafficking. Police try and keep an eye on it at the borders, but it's really hard. Fake papers are made up. Fake visas are made up. Countries that have um, laxer immigration laws, it's easier to get in and out of, which is why it's a fairly prevalent problem here in Canada because we, we built our country on the belief that immigration is good, and I believe that it is good. But there are always people who are going to take advantage of those situations. Yeah. Legalizing human trafficking? Oh, I don't think legalizing human trafficking is a good idea. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm like, I don't think that should be legalized at all. 
I think that's just called immigration. That's a completely different thing. Um, I don't know if legalizing prostitution would help necessarily. Um, I mean, I guess women who actually want to be involved in the sex trade. The problem with human trafficking is that a lot of these women are not choosing this occupation. They're not choosing to be involved in the sex trade. With legalization, women could actually apply for work visas. So if a woman from, let's say, Ukraine wants to move to Canada and work here by choice as a sex trade worker, she could apply for that work visa. I guess that might be one benefit. Uh, my name is Frank Toss. Uh, I'd, we'd be amiss if we didn't uh, uh, bring in the, the subject of the psychos and the, and the, and the, the mental hospitals that have been closed provincially in this province and all around, all around, right throughout Canada. Mm -hmm. This idea of they should be at home, what have you. Mm -hmm. We know that the tremendous load on our police forces, most of the people that are arrested, uh, a good percentage are mental, mental people. How has that, uh, how has that affected the, uh, the, the sex trade? Are these people the ones basically are doing the murdering, what have you, of these of these people. Um, not really. Um, <clears throat> this is not my area of expertise, but I mean, let's look at Robert Picton. He's probably the most famous that we know of. He's a very successful businessman. Uh, he was never <clears throat> hospitalized for any mental issues, to my knowledge, nothing, and I assume that would have come out in the media coverage if he had been. Um, the, the clients who visit sex trade workers come from all walks of life. There are, there are some patterns in terms of women who work in the trade, but in terms of clients, it can be anyone. I, and we see this all the time in the, the United States. Some governor has been visiting sex trade workers. Um, all walks of life. Um, and I think anyone who commits murder probably has some sort of issues that could be dealt with. Um, there's, but a lot of this violence is also encouraged, um, partly due to misogyny um, and the, the desire to control women's sexuality, partly out of the belief that because these women are so stigmatized, it doesn't matter if we kill them. I mean, um, Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, I don't know if you're familiar with that, that was throughout uh, Washington State, he murdered a number of prostitutes, and he outright said he chose them because he knew he could get away with it. He knew that they probably weren't going to be reported missing. He knew people weren't going to care. It's not, he, I, think he, I think he used school teachers in his, as an example. He said, it's not that I'm, it's not that I'm killing school teachers. Like, no one's going to notice if, I think, he, I think he was charged with like 48 murders. And it was over about a 20-year time period before he was finally caught and charged. I mean, so yeah, he was probably a little bit psychopathic, but I don't think that that's the case across the board at all, no. Tamara, I've got a question for you. <laughs> and it follows on some of our table conversation. Um, I was intrigued by the range of... Uh, sort of approaches to prostitution mm -hmm. that you outlined in the, the cross-national data that you gave us. Looking at all of that, what would be your top two or three recommendations to Canadian governments about what to do? And keeping in mind as well, one of the things we talked about was there's lots of things that were put up there, but which of those options are actually enforceable 
yeah. or helpful, right? Because you gave the Japanese example and critiqued that. Yeah. So what would you recommend in keeping in mind the sort of uh, uh, practical application of a particular approaches? Which would you, which would you pick? If I could write the legislation, um, <laughs> that's a really nice idea. Um, well, I, I would go with decriminalization, as I mentioned, um, simply because a lot of the, the regulated, legalized versions end up infringing on the sex trade workers' rights just as much as, though in different ways, than cr criminalization does um, in terms of mandatory health checks and having to work in certain locations and not being able to say no to certain clients or certain acts. So I definitely lean towards decriminalization. Um, specific legislation, though. Um, I would definitely stick with the women have to be age of majority. Because I think once you get into child prostitution, you get into some very gray areas. But even in the terms of that, I mean, my birthday is November 3rd. So say I'm 17 years old on November 2nd, and then I turn 18 on November 3rd, am I really suddenly an adult? But I think I would probably go with age of majority. Um, I think legalizing brothels, but not having limits on how many women can work in them. So a lot of these countries where it's legalized, you have to work solo. I think that that doesn't do anything to... Um, stem the violence that women experience if they're working alone. I mean, even in restaurants like Subway, you're not allowed to work by yourself, you know, let alone in an intimate situation in a brothel. Um, so I would legalize all forms, but I would also legalize street prostitution without a specific zone of tolerance. A, because um, in terms of the associated crimes... Having a specific zone of tolerance will attract other forms of socially deviant behavior. So I think women should be free to work where they want to, just the way that anyone else who wants to set up a business will set up their business where they hope it will succeed and where they want to work. Um, another problem with... Another reason why I would support the legalization of the street trade is that with a lot of these countries where you're allowed to have a brothel... The registering and the application fees and, you know, the rent that you have to pay to have these brothels, you, a lot of them you're not allowed to have the brothel be the same location as your home, which means you're paying rent in two places, which means you have to work even more to be able to pay all your rent. So I think you should be able to work on the street. Um, it's, we, can, we can police it now. We can police it if it's legalized. Yeah. Hi. That was really great. My name is Suzanne Lennon. Um, I'm actually interested to know a little bit more about your research and particularly what you're finding around media coverage and representations of the women killed in Edmonton. Um, because I'm finding listening to this CBC mm -hmm. thing on uh, sex trade this week, as interesting as it is, there's a real moral undertone to it that is actually quite aggravating. Um, so I'm wondering if you could just yeah. speak to that. I, I know you haven't listened to it, but maybe just... Um... I can speak to okay. moral undertones, okay, definitely. <laughs> that's, that's all I've been speaking about for about three years. <clears throat> um, I, I call it the dehumanization of sex trade workers, basically the way that the, the murders are portrayed, or just women still alive but working in the sex trade are dehumanized. They're, 
they're made to be seen as of lesser value. Um, they're not as important citizens if they get the status of citizen at all. Um, I've come across a number of articles reporting on the murders of, of one woman or another that make a point of repeatedly stating that she was never even reported missing, which sounds like an interesting tidbit of information in terms of the crime until you stop and think, well, what are they trying to imply by telling us that? In other words, she wasn't reported missing. Nobody misses her. She wasn't loved. She didn't have a family. Who cares? No one cares. Uh, so that is something that I've come across a lot. Um, there's a lot of racial racialization of the women. Basically, if it's a white victim, her race won't be mentioned ever. I haven't come across a single single example. If she is First Nations, every single time she, it will be mentioned that she's First Nations. Um, if the woman was not suffering from drug addiction, won't be mentioned. If she was suffering from drug addiction, it will be mentioned. It's the conflagration of sex work with other crimes that isn't always necessarily the case, but is the stereotype that we've that we've been shown over and over again. Um, there's a lot of victim blaming, as in, while well, she was working in the wrong industry, she kind of asked for it. And this is the same, the same situation with um, sex trade workers coming forward after they've been sexually assaulted. It's basically impossible to get a conviction. For the longest time, there were actual laws in place saying that sex trade workers cannot be raped. It's not possible. If you're selling it, then you're giving it away for free too, I guess. I don't know. But there, there, were, there were laws saying that it's not possible to rape a sex trade worker. This has been changed, but the convictions are still pretty few and far between. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of moralistic undertones. Um, and, and they'll always make mention of what sort of family life the women came from. If it was an unhealthy family life, if it was a positive family life, it's less likely to be mentioned. My name is Kathleen McDonald. Um, mine is more of a comment, I think. Around sure. our table, we were, we were talking about not so long ago in Lethbridge, um, there was, I think, six men in their 80s mm -hmm. um, okay. that had made the press um, for, for uh, soliciting uh, prostitution. I think that's a sad comment, that there isn't a place that, um, for whatever reason, I mean, we could name all kinds of reasons why men like this at, at uh, 80 years old or so um, need to go to the street like mm -hmm. that. If there was a place, uh, a safe place, um, a protected place where they could go. Mm -hmm. uh, we also talked about um, the very wealthy in our society that they can get a, um, a high class um, a escort. Call girl. In, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, call girl. And, and it's all hidden, it's all, it's all contained. Um, I just think it's a really sad comment on our society. Um, in, in terms of moral issues, mm -hmm. that there isn't a place. And one of these fellows, I understand, was a doctor. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'll, I'll just leave that out to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, this is one more reason to argue in favor of, of brothels being allowed. If this were the case, these gentlemen would have somewhere to go. Um, or even to have street prostitution legalized, then they could go there without having these sort of repercussions come down on their heads. Um, I was reading an article. Um, it was giving. They had done um, some interviews with uh, young men in a particular um, oblast in Russia, and they were talking about this. 
um, sort of the <clears throat> perceptions of the of the morals of people both providing and purchasing these services. And what I found particularly interesting, though, is that most of the comments were, "These are bad women. I would never, I would never marry a woman or want to be involved with a woman who's working in the sex trade." But at the same time, these gentlemen were saying, but it's perfectly okay for me to go out and purchase her services. So there's definitely a sexual double standard. Um, so I actually find it quite interesting that in this case, these men were looked down upon so harshly because most of the time, I'm pretty comfortable saying the vast majority of the time, um, we only look down upon the people providing the service, <clears throat> not the people demanding the service. Um, but, I mean, it's just one more reason why I think that these, this service should be legalized, because there's clearly a demand for it in, in all age groups. Yeah. yeah. Another question. Bev? <laughs> that is, if there's no one else who hasn't had a chance to ask, you're on. Red Light District. And... Um, that was about 100 years ago, and there are books written on it, and it was part of what helping to establish Lethbridge, and it brought culture to the city, and you could go there, and the, the women would read the newspapers to the men who, were, who didn't know how to read, and they would play the piano and do all kinds of mm -hmm. different things. It was the center of culture. <clears throat> so I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering, um, with, shall we say, the... the <clears throat> the change in values over 100 years, what what you think about the increased fundamentalism, Christian right fundamentalism in our society, which seems to be stopping some of your good suggestions? Um, first of all, so the women reading the men newspapers and that sort of thing, sex work is about a lot more than penetration. A lot of it is about companionship. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, and this ties into yours as well. In terms of the elderly men um, seeking company, that's a service that sex trade workers offer to people who might not have access to sexual experiences otherwise um, in terms of age groups, in terms of um, disabilities and that sort of thing. So, yeah, this is about a lot more than just sex. It's about companionship and providing a service. Um, in terms of... I don't think I would limit it only to the Christian right. I would think I would limit it to fundamental moralism, regardless of religion, I think. Because I can think of some examples outside of the Christian right. But I think just overly devout moralism. Um, get the look of disgust off my face. Um, I think that there is a definite link between... In terms of, let's say, the Christian moralism, in terms of women are either the, the virgin or the whore, right? We have our options. We're either Mary Magdalene or we're the Virgin Mary. So I think a lot of this moralism is an attempt to control women's sexuality, um, to keep them under wraps. We were discussing at our table during lunch. Um, it's a way of ensuring paternity, right? If you can control who's uh, getting up there with a woman, <laughs> we, can, we can make sure we know who what, what their paternal line is. Um, so a lot of it is, is centered on religion, but a lot of it is just centered on morals in terms of, and this is the same debate we have with the, with the legalization of homosexual marriage or with, um, homosexual couples being allowed to adopt children, right? Uh, 
We want to express our opinions on things that don't necessarily affect us, that we're not necessarily involved in, whether that be homosexual marriage, whether that be people seeking the sexual services of someone to whom they are not married or not in love with, right? We, there's an overemphasis on the, on the relationship between sex and love and sex and commitment and sex and devotion um, that I think gets tied up in a lot of these moral arguments, um, which is why a lot of the arguments try and move prostitution away from just sex between two individuals to prostitution as a form of work, right? That's one way of moving away from that. It's not... It's not about an intimate relationship. It's about a business. It's about a way of earning money. It's about a way of supporting yourself when you might not have other options or when it's just the option you prefer over the other ones that might be available to you. That sounds, if I may, might, like a good place maybe to, <laughs> to stop. I would like to thank you, Tamara, for giving us a very uh, interesting thank presentation you. today. Uh, will you please join me in, in expressing our appreciation? And, of course, thank you to you as well for being here as the listeners, as the questioners, and the participants in Southern Alberta Council of Public Affairs. Uh, without you, these things would not be possible as well. And we hope that you have uh, learned some things today to take with you as you listen, hear, seek, try to understand what's going on uh, in the world of public affairs within Alberta and beyond. Thank you, Tamara. Thank you. Thank you.